Well, good to be back with you all again. I did lay out a challenge last week about reading the whole book of 1 John. Did anybody do that? That is also not a liar. Okay, I see you. Be, be proud, Kate. Okay, I didn't bring a tiny Bible, but I'll, I'll store one for you. Well, we'll continue the challenge of reading all of 1 John. If you can find, if you can find 15 minutes this week, you'll be able to sneak through. You, at your speeds, I bet you could read it twice if you wanted to. Um, but we will be in 1 John again today, so you can go ahead and open there. It's towards the back of your Bible, which I'm sure you know. We will be in chapter 2, looking at verses 3 to 11. When we read, though, I'm actually going to read uh, last week's passage as well, along with this one, to keep that context together. After we read the text, I'm going to make a few more maybe introductory-type comments to, to make sure we have our bearings, and then we'll get into the meat of today's discussion. But essentially, we're going to walk through it. We're going to dig into what is meant when John cryptically says there's a, a new commandment that is old or an old commandment that is new, uh, a commandment to love, which hopefully that will make some sense by the time we're done. And that will be uh, what we hopefully get through today. Um, so before we do that, though, let's go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Again, I will be starting in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, then through chapter 2, verse 11. Now this is the gospel message that we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet keep on walking in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. This is the new part. Now by this we know that we have come to know God, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God, and yet does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. Whoever keeps his word, truly in this person, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which we have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have already heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but still hates his brother is still in the darkness. The one who loves his brother resides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Thanks be to God for his word. You can take a seat. And let's pray as we get into this this morning. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. I pray that this morning would be a blessing to us. Please help us to understand, comprehend, and soar in our hearts uh, what you would have for us this morning in First John. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so like I said, we've got a few very brief, I think, 
kind of setting the guidepost, putting the chalk on the field type comments, our weekly reminder of the context of 1 John. But we need to remember what this church is dealing with. There's a lot of false teaching that was going on in this area. People that were professing Christ are teaching people that sin is really not as big of a deal as the Bible seems to make it out to be, especially sins of the body. Sins of the body aren't a big deal because we're spiritual people now. So we have God's word saying one thing clearly, but these teachers teaching basically the exact opposite, but still naming Christ as their savior. And this was leading to like legitimate lawlessness within this church, just sin abounding and it being okay. Um, and not only that, this false teaching was happening, but also the word we talked about last week, apostasy was happening, where people were just now leaving the faith altogether, not just leaving their local church, but leaving Christianity altogether. And also, um, we want to remember John's tone in this letter. I categorized it last week as not being like an angry prophet mode, like calling Israel to repentance uh, in that kind of way, but more of a reassuring, um, protective big brother mode, a reassuring pastor mode, as he's writing to the believers that are still there in the wake of all of this craziness. He's being very pastoral and tender with them. Uh, and then I also, I want us to really forget, not forget last week's text, which is why I read it again, but specifically remembering that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And why is he faithful to do that? Because we're doing a great job? No, it's because, as, the, as it continues, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who has atoned for our sins. So it's because of that truth, that Jesus Christ is our advocate. If you recall last week, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what enables us to then walk in the light. So when we're considering to today's text, and really when we're looking at all of 1 John, which 1 John is somewhat cyclical and repetitive, we need to keep that in mind. That's going to be our foundation. We're going to have that in our backpack as we journey into our passage today. So that's what we're going to get to now in chapter 2. Uh, we're going to make our way um, through the verses and discuss these things together. So we're going to start looking at verses 3 to 5 if you want to put your eyes there. Again, my translation will be a little bit different. But again, that reads, now by this we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God and yet does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. But whoever keeps his word, truly in this person the love of God has been perfected. I'm going to do a little, I'm going to do a brief little word study here. As Scott said in first service, I know that's why you're all here. More word studies, okay? I know you all heard me say the phrase, keep his commandments, but somehow you heard the word, do his commandments. We all kind of do that. Uh, yes and no with that, okay? Um, if you took a second, you wouldn't have to think too long to realize that keep and do are, in fact, two different words. So we need to think through this a little bit. Because if we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and the love of God, we obviously will seek to do God's commands. That's, that's obvious. But if that's going to be the measure of how we know we are saved, how, how would we ever know what's enough of do his commandments if we're thinking do his commandments perfectly, for example? I would never be assured in that. And one of the purposes of this letter, though, is to help us know that we are indeed saved. So how would we understand that if we're said you must perfectly do, especially his commandments to know that you know God? Um, it says in verse uh, 4 that if you say that you have come to know God, meaning that Jesus has saved you from your sins, but you do not perfectly do his commandments, if you sneak that understanding in there, 
That's not great news for me. I don't know if that's great news for you, but for me, I would be in, in serious trouble. So if we can't have confidence that we are saved, if we aren't perfectly doing his commandments, assurance, again, a, a purpose of 1 John, is really an impossibility. But if we think back into scripture of people who seem to be very confident that they do belong to the Lord, someone that comes to my mind is King David, right? King David was very confident that he belonged to the Lord. Did King David do the commandments of the Lord perfectly? Did he perfectly do his word? Obviously, we know he didn't. I mean, he conspired to have someone murdered because he had had an affair with that guy's wife and he wanted to keep that quiet. I don't recall that being uh, in line with God's commandments, right? But I wanted to quickly look at some texts that we have in Scripture of how David speaks about the commandments or the covenants of God. Uh, we have one here in Psalm 25:10 where David wrote, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and testimonies. Well, if in this context, keep his covenant means to perfectly do the things that the covenant requires, King David's obviously not talking about himself here. He kind of he should know himself better than that. Uh, mm-hmm. Or I like this one even better. This is from uh, Psalm, 9, or Psalm 18. Uh, again, if keep means perfectly do, we have uh, David writing, For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Again, if we sneak in an understanding of keep to say, For I have perfectly done the ways of the Lord, we'd have to give David that, uh, that face that Thor gives in Thor Ragnarok when he's like, Did you? Right? Did you really? So I don't want to get silly with a, with a word study here, but the Greek word used in 1 John for keep, uh, if you want to try to draw the Greek in your, your notes, you would really impress your parents. Um, but the word carries this meaning of like to watch over or to guard or to preserve. And this word in the Greek New Testament is the same word used in um, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was made in like the 200s B.C., And it's the version of uh, the Old Testament that Jesus and the apostles very frequently quoted from. But it carries that same connotation. It carries that same uh, idea as we move into the New Testament. This idea of keeping his commandments, meaning that we guard them. We hold them so dear. We hold them so precious. We say yes and amen to the word of God. Verse 5 says, whoever keeps his word, we cling to it. We affirm it. We wholeheartedly agree with it. We keep it close to our chest because we want to protect it. Nobody could ever take it from us. Nobody could convince us that these words aren't true. I'm going to hold them close to me. They can't tell me that what God says is not right. It's like this uh, idea in Deuteronomy 6. uh, The commandments, the word of the Lord is like a sign on my hand and a frontlet between my eyes, meaning that this is what determines what I do, what I think, and what I see. If we have that understanding of keeping this commandments, that actually makes an awful lot of sense in the context of what's going on in this church and the reason that John wrote this letter. Because remember, as I said, we have these teachers who are claiming to, quote, know God and speak on his behalf, but then completely contradicting what his word says, what his commandments say, particularly about the sinfulness of sin. So to to say, yeah, I know God, I'm in fellowship with God, but then to completely disagree and disregard what his commandments say, that's contradictory. And as John says, that makes you a liar if that's what you're saying and that's what you're doing. We all know that we'll never be sinlessly perfect. We will never be able to fully, perfectly do his commandments to a degree that would make us right 
before God that would make us uh, approved by God. That's why we need a Savior in the first place. But even so, we agree wholeheartedly with God's word. We agree with what his commandments say that we ought to do as people that have been bought by the blood of Jesus, and we cling tightly to that. And with that, we, of course, seek to do those things. That is obviously the target. And seeing ourselves on an upward trajectory of obedience can obviously help bolster our assurance in how saved we feel, knowing that how saved we are is determined by Christ. We, we agree that when we contradict God's word with our actions, that those things are not good, and we need to confess those to him and repent of those, turn away from those and turn back to this word that we hold so dear. There, there are verses in here I've said before that if they're taken out of context and now if we import uh, the word perfectly do where keep is written, these will be assurance robbers and really would lead us to think that, well, nobody's saved, right, in that case. That said, I do not want you to think that Metalman is up here saying, well, I guess I don't need to obey then. Obedience isn't all that important. I don't need to see obedience in my life. That's one way to either get you Batman slapped or to get you put into a jujitsu armbar by me if you try to say that that's what I'm saying up here, which I would, of course, immediately let go for the sake of the recording. Um, but I am, of course, not saying that obedience does not matter. Uh, as we talked about last week regarding walking in the light, the pattern of a person who has truly been regenerated by the Holy Spirit is one of con consistent obedience. Not perfect obedience, obviously. Otherwise, John wouldn't have wasted his ink telling us about confessing our sins, right? Confession is there because we don't and we can't perfectly obey. But walking in the light, as we talked about last week, does mean growing in Christ-likeness. So, Finally, to get to our main point, which piggybacks on last week's, the main point that we're going to discuss for this text is that walking in the light means walking like Jesus. So I'm going to take a gamble here, and we're going to do a little bit of an object lesson to break things up a little bit. This could crash and burn, but we're going to give it a shot. If I could get two male volunteers, there's not going to be any physical contact from me, so you don't need to worry about it. Two male volunteers, okay. Yeah, right? Creighton and one more, one more person. Okay, what's your name? Dax and Creighton. Okay, come on out, Dax and Creighton. We'll use this space here. I'm going to have you guys start to walk just in a circle. Okay, Dax is going to lead. You start walking in a circle. Just, just follow him wherever he goes, about five, ten steps behind him. Okay, just walk for a while. Just go the same direction he does. Okay? Notice that their strides are unique. They're kind of each walking their own way. Okay, hey, Creighton, I want you to walk as close as humanly possible to Dax without touching him. And Dax, you're cool with this. You don't need to run away, okay? Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't touch him. Try to, try to walk. Okay, keep going for a while. Don't bump into him. Stay close, but don't bump. <laughs> Dax, don't trick him. If I'm being honest, this isn't working as well as I had hoped. Well, what, what would make it easy? What would make it easier to walk close without bumping into him? What if, you tried, what if you tried to match his stride exactly? And Dax just walked like a normal person. There we go. As you, if you take your steps exactly like him, are you able to get closer without bumping? Look at that. Okay. If we only snap those last three seconds, that worked really well, and we can give these guys a round of applause, and they can take their, 
take their seats. Okay. What was that for, is your question, right? Well, if we look at, if we look at verse 6, verse 6 says, The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. So what I was trying to demonstrate there was to, to translate to us, if we are residing in God, we are in close relationship with him, if we are, quote, walking with Jesus, then the closer we walk with him, the more we're going to walk like him. That's what we were trying to show in that little march there. In order for Creighton to walk as close as possible to his leader, he needed to start walking nearly exactly like his leader to stay in perfect stride with him. So again, remember just the last three seconds because it looked really great at that point. And it was fun, at least for me, to, to watch that happen. Um, but that's what John is pointing out in this text here. If in fact we are walking with Jesus, and that's what we're claiming to do, we will necessarily, in order to be close to him, start walking more and more like Jesus. So like when I'm telling you that what we're not looking for is level X of obedience in order to confirm that you are in fact right with God, that would be a hard thing for me to say because I frankly don't have any idea where level X would be if it isn't perfection, right? I wouldn't know what level X is to tell you to do, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's just cool to then, okay, I guess I'll just walk my own way, and that's fine. That's not the case at all. We will necessarily, because of the change that has happened in us, we will necessarily be walking in the footsteps of Christ to some degree, right, if we've truly been changed by him, but the closeness to his perfect pattern, that's going to vary from person to person. It's going to vary by what season of life that you are in. But ideally, if you zoom out over the years of your Christian walk, you're going to see that you were following that pattern fairly closely, even if there are blips along the way. Uh, an image that popped into my mind is like when there's many inches of snow outside. It's a reality here in Illinois frequently. And usually if I have to go get the mail, and I haven't shoveled my driveway in a couple days, on day two, when I'm going to get the mail, I'm going to try to walk in my pre-existing footsteps so that I don't get my socks wet again. And so sometimes I have to hop a little bit and it looks a little weird. And I don't get it perfect every time. I don't land exactly in my footstep every time I slip off to the side and I still get wet. But if you were to zoom out, it would almost look like there was one set of footprints. I'm trying to follow that pattern as closely as I can. And that's how that process of sanctification that we talked about a little bit last week should look. Our general pattern should be the same pattern as Christ. To say it's the same as Christ is ridiculous, and we would have nothing but despair if we were to be measuring ourselves by the exactness of our walk with Jesus. But our pattern, what we should recognize in ourselves, is more and more Christ-likeness. But the illustration that we did was literally just walking. So it might be helpful to talk more about what it actually means for us to walk more like Christ. What does it entail to walk as Jesus walked? Well, John starts to unpack that a little bit for us if we look at verses seven and eight, um, and he does it in a little cryptic way. He says, dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have already heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John is starting to flesh this out a little bit, but not in a unconfusing way, I wouldn't say, especially for readers like us who are 2,000 years removed from this stuff. Because he says, I'm not writing anything new to you, 
I'm not telling you anything new at all. This is something you guys already know. It's an old commandment, something you've heard for uh, a long time. right? As, since you've been a believer, you've been hearing about this stuff. And then he says, see if I can do it. Actually, you guys seen that meme, the actually guy? Or did I just make a fool out of myself up here? A little of both. All right, it's a good day. Uh, I'm not calling John the actually guy, the guy who always wants to correct somebody. But he says, uh, psych, right? I'm not giving you something new. I'm telling you something old. But I actually am telling you something new. And that's kind of confusing um, for us if we just look at it at the surface. It says, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Jesus and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So a couple of brief observations on this new commandment that is old or this old commandment that is new. I think it's very clear that we should be taking, we should be understanding this as a direct reference to the words of Jesus as recorded by the same John in the Gospel of John in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is where John recorded Jesus as saying, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So now, when Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John, a new commandment that I give to you, he's in no way contradicting what God had previously revealed as good and right. He's not doing some kind of 180 on what God's expectations are for people. Uh, it isn't new information that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, for example. We've had that commandment expressed in those words since Leviticus 19 that Jesus quoted uh, previously. It isn't new that you're supposed to love, but now we have a bit of a new picture of what that love looks like. What he's saying is, I'm framing an old commandment that you know in perhaps a slightly different way, making it a little bit unique from the way you heard it before. He's summarizing the law in a different way. So if we keep on trucking, we see that John unpacks this a little bit more in verse 9. He says, the one who says he is in the light but still hates his brother, or you can say his fellow Christian, he is still in the darkness. So John is just reiterating that new, old, old, new commandment from Jesus from back in John 13. Jesus' explicit command to his people was to love one another, especially within the body of Christ. And he also said that outsiders will know that you belong to him by the way that his followers love one another. So if we're going to claim to be redeemed by Christ, but we're going to go on harboring these hateful feelings towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, you've completely missed the plot of what Jesus has said this is all about. If you hate your brother or your sister and go uh, and, and remember to go back to walking in the light, if you're hating them as a regular pattern and you're totally cool with it, you're not grieving over that sin, you're not fighting that sin, but you're fine and feel justified in hating your brother, that would be a pretty clear indication that you're not actually in Christ. You've missed what um, Christ is all about. Then we have on the flip side, verse 10, the one who loves his brother, again, his fellow Christians, resides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. One of the changes that you'll experience as you are changed by the Holy Spirit working in you is this genuine love and affection for your fellow believers. You're still all relatively young. You may not fully be experiencing this yet. This is something that will grow over time as you are in Christ. But you will start to cultivate and feel this genuine 
maybe even surprising love, if you're like me, a surprising love for fellow Christian brothers and sisters. And this can be a, a marker for you. John's given this as a marker for us, another little piece of evidence for us that, wow, I, I really must be in Christ. I'm having these, again, for me, surprising feelings for, for these people that I don't have a ton in common with, but I genuinely care for and love them. And what does that love look like? What does it mean to love like Jesus loved? I know I'm saying the word love, but what does it mean? Well, Jesus quoted um, Deuteronomy 6 and then Leviticus 19 when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he ended up boiling it down to love God and love neighbor. So those, those two commandments have been, along, or been around for a long time. And then like we covered in, in John, the Gospel of John, Jesus tacked on a little bit of newness to it when he said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Like, okay, that's not new, we got that. But with followed up with, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Okay, now we got the newness of it. The new bit is that we are to love one another like Jesus loved. The Old Testament saints didn't have that. They hadn't seen that just yet. Uh, if, you're, if you're living under the Old Covenant and someone tells you, hey, you need to love God and you need to love neighbor, where might be where they go to figure out what that looks like? What would be a good starting point, even for us, frankly, a good starting point to know what does it look like to love God and love neighbor? Any ideas? Maybe there are 10 words that you could go reference to see what it looks like. Really? What 10 words might be helpful to know how to love God and love neighbor? Just say it out loud. You all know the answer. Louder. The Ten Commandments. Okay, wow. You ever heard it called the Decalogue? Okay, well, that means ten words. I was trying to, to give you a hint there. Right, well, in the Ten Commandments, we have the first four commandments are teaching us how we are to properly relate to God. And then commandments five through ten teach us how we are to interact with our neighbor, how we're to love our neighbor, which would include things like uh, honor your father and mother. That's the, the one kind of positive commandment telling you to do something. The rest of them are don'ts right? Um, <coughs> uh, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet your neighbor's stuff, right? So five through ten kind of summarize how you could understand loving your neighbor, and that's still a good paradigm to use um, now. But Jesus is now summarizing the last six, often called the second table of the law, if you want to use that. He's summarizing those last six in a slightly new way, which is you are to love one another just as I have loved you. So what's that? How, did, how has Christ loved us? Okay. Now, quick reminder, Christ's love for us, first off, is not only a pattern for us to follow. He's not only a good moral example. Um, he's the source of our ability to even love. If he's only a model for us, that's not what Christianity is, just a set of moral commands that would make for good people if we don't first have him as Savior. If he's model only, we're in bad shape. Christ is Savior and Redeemer first, and then he is the model for us to how to live as redeemed people. So please do remember that. His love for us is what makes our love for each other even possible. But what does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot of things. We're just going to cover three today. Um, the first, first thing that you don't need to write down, uh, because it's hard for us to model this, is that Jesus's love is a redeeming saving love. He quite literally purchased us 
with his love through his blood. He loved us so much that he gave up his own life in exchange for ours. So that's going to be a little trickier for us to, to imitate. But again, it is the source of our ability to then imitate. Maybe some of us will have an opportunity in our lives to, to save somebody's life by, life by sacrificing our own, but um, don't, like, don't go out and try to do that immediately. If the opportunity comes, be brave and do so, but this is not me telling you to jump in front of traffic or something crazy. But more practically, what, what are some ways that Jesus loved us that we can seek to model as um, Christians? The word Christian actually means like little Christ, like little imitators of Jesus. Well, first is that his love is unmerited. It's unmerited, meaning that we have not given him a good reason to show us his love. We did not and could not ever earn the right to be loved by Jesus. His love for us is grounded in his grace. It's given to us freely. He didn't choose to love us because we were lovely or overly lovable. That's what God's love, Christ's love for us looks like. So what, then the, what does that mean for us then about how we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us all in the room here? Does it mean that you, you know, only show love to others so long as they're showing love to you? Or does it mean that you can demonstrate Christ-like love for someone, even if they are a little difficult, we'll say, even those that really get on your nerves? Can you still love them? Can you still pray for them? Can you still serve them? Can you still serve with them joyfully? Well, if we're trying to be Christ-like, that should be our goal. What's another way? Well, Christ's love for us is quite obviously sacrificial, right? He's, he suffered greatly for us. It cost him something to love us, ultimately his life. Again, I'm not asking him to do that. But maybe consider this. Do you ever avoid loving certain people because it's too costly to do so? It's too costly of your time. It's too costly of your emotional energy. Um, if I'm being honest, I know that I've done that in my past. I've, I've avoided loving certain people because it's just too draining for me. It's taking too much of my time. If you're like me in that, I would say ask the Lord to forgive you of that, to forgive you of that lazy loving and to empower you by his spirit to be uh, joyfully willing to give more of yourself to his people. We should be eager to spend that capital to love the ones that the Lord has placed in our lives, if we want to be like Jesus. We could probably do this all day, but I'm just going to give you one more. We'll give you one more, and that, that is that Jesus' love is a forgiving love. His love is forgiving. Now, again, the forgiveness that we receive from the love of Christ and his work on the cross is not something that we can replicate. Of course not. We, we can't pay for the sins of others eternally. We don't have the power to do that. But as those that have been forgiven much, we ought to forgive much as well. So this means that we should be quick and eager to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ when they sin against us, even when that sin really does hurt, when it's legitimate sin and it hurts, and maybe the pain's not even all the way gone yet, we can still forgive. Uh, and, we, and we're not going to have like a three-strike policy, right? Like I'll forgive him three times, but after that, that's it. Uh, Peter tried to pull one of those. Peter asked Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Like up to seven times? Probably in Peter's mind, because Peter's a lot like me also, thinking, 
Because that'd be pretty good, eh, Jesus? Seven times? That's a good biblical number, isn't it? Um, Jesus responded to that uh, gently with Peter, <laughs> uh, as he often does. Sometimes he has to be pretty direct with Peter. And depending on how you translate it, he either says 77 times or 70 times seven times, meaning 490. Either interpretation is just Jesus being playful with the numbers. It'd be like me saying you need to do it a bazillion times, okay? Basically an infinite amount that we are willing to forgive one another. If the sin that we're talking about is this big, public, ongoing, unrepentant sin, we have a process within the church of dealing with that. But if your brother or sister contritely is confessing their sin against you and they ask for forgiveness, we give it. We give it. Just as we confess and repent to the Lord every single time, he forgives it. We can try to do the same thing even when it hurts. So you can ask yourself, are you harboring any bitterness towards a brother or sister? Even if they haven't asked your forgiveness, ask the Lord to free you from that bitterness and help you to be able to forgive them. So those are three ways that we can love like Jesus loved and follow this new, old, oldly new commandment. Well, as we wrap up, let's try to bring this all together. We have covered uh, a good amount of ground looking at what it means to, to walk as Jesus walked and try to love one another according to this new-ish commandment. So just keep in mind these few points. Um, the first one, which is important for me and my mind, maybe this isn't a challenge for you, but keeping God's commandments, remember that that means treasuring them, like clinging to them, affirming them, and not perfectly obeying them, because that's going to be a robber. We obviously seek to obey. If we feel that way about this word, if we really feel that this is the word of God and it means so much, obviously obedience is our goal. We agree with God 100% on that, and we seek to obey even when we know we're failing and fail, we still uh, treasure to keep these commandments. Um, second thing is, if we are in close relationship with Jesus, if we're walking with him, we should start to be walking more and more like him. And that means uh, loving like him in a, in a life of forgiveness and sacrifice, etc. Our lives should start to reflect his pattern more and more over a period of time. Day to day, it might feel like you're going up and down, but over the the years of this Christian walk, you should see that upward trajectory. Uh, third thing, loving one another means uh, loving fellow believers graciously, even when they are hard to love, forgiving them quickly and repeatedly, and sacrificing time and effort to serve them and to serve with them. That should be our target. And then four, which really grounds the whole thing again. I can't reiterate it enough reiterated enough, but our ability to love comes first from receiving Christ's forgiving, gracious, sacrificial love that he showed to us on the cross. Uh, as the scripture says, we love because he first loved us. We don't love so that he will love us. We take the love that we've received from him, and that should overflow from our lives out to our brothers and sisters. So the, the good news for you the good news for you, not just from 1 John, but from the entire biblical narrative, is that we, because of Jesus, we can actually pursue this. This is a tall order to, to keep and to try to follow Jesus' walk. That's a tall order. But we can do that. We can pursue greater obedience and greater love for one another without fear. There's no fear in failure in doing so. We can pursue without the fear of condemnation. And that is good news for us today. We can pursue and strive after greater obedience, greater love for one another without fear of condemnation. Again, why? 
because of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus Christ has finally and ultimately done for us. That's a done deal. That's that justification we talked about last week. That's a done deal, and now we can move forward without fear of failure that that's going to knock us back down a peg, and that's going to knock us out of the kingdom. We have Jesus Christ eternally for us, and because of that, we can be for our brothers and sisters. So with that in mind, let's pray to, to that end. Well, gracious Father, um, this scripture is such an encouragement um, to me, reminding me throughout of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me and for, for us in this room. And Lord, I, I, do, uh, I do pray that uh, my personal obedience and the obedience of those in this room will grow, will improve, and will, we will look more and more like Christ throughout our years or however long you have for us on this earth. And Father, please, when we feel like we are not imaging Christ well, encourage us, uh, help us to, to repent well and to confess well and to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. And please, Father, help, uh, help us to remember the love that you have shown us and to let that encourage us to greater obedience and to help us to love one another just as you have loved us. So thank you for this time. Uh, I pray that we would meditate on these words throughout the week and that we would seek to love one another well. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.